Welcome to CTRM Radio, home of the official podcast of Commodity Technology Advisory and your source for information on all matters related to CTRM. Hello and welcome to CTRM Radio, a monthly podcast from Commodity Technology Advisory. You can find both past and future episodes of this podcast on our corporate website, comtechadvisory.com, or at the ctrmcenter.com website. I'm Patrick Reams, and a bit later in this program, I'll be joined by my colleague, Gary Vasey. In today's broadcast, we'll take a look at the recent M&A activity in the CTRM space. If you've been following our blog and the, the news sections within the CTRM Center, you'll have noticed that within the last six months or so, we've seen a number of CTRM vendors and vendors of affiliated software being acquired by others within the space. These include the MCG acquisition of Paragon, the Houston-based vendor of credit risk and an emerging ETRM solution, ION's acquisition of Aspect and OpenLink, and most recently the acquisition of FEA, a longtime risk player by Allegro. Users of these systems that have been acquired are naturally concerned, and perhaps rightfully so, as they've invested not insignificant amounts of cash and human effort in implementing and maintaining these systems. Whether these concerns come to fruition or not is yet to be seen, but given the hard-earned lessons of the past, you would hope that those that have done the acquiring will not repeat those past mistakes, uh, including trying to force-fit divergent technologies and functionalities in an attempt to create a singular monolithic product offering. And based on our conversations with some of the acquiring companies and those that have been acquired, it does seem that the recent deals will not face similar issues that we've seen in the past with others. We've seen ebbs and flows in the M&A cycles in the past. Uh, the Caminus buying spree in the late 1990s and early 2000s, which saw the company being acquired eventually by SunGuard in 2003. We've seen Triple Point and OpenLink seemingly competing for the title of leading acquirer with their acquisition sprees of 2007 to 2012. With Triple Point buying Coral Grid, NSYNC, Rome, Softmar, Interbility, QMaster, and Wham and OpenLink buying Solark, IRM, DBC, SmartSoft, and Theed Ward. During roughly the same period, Brady picked up a number of software vendors, uh, particularly in the metals and European energy space. Since that very active four-year span prior to 2012, uh, the pace of acquisitions has slowed. Though ECA did acquire a couple of companies in 2013, including Encompass and Matrix, Allegro acquired SauceVendor, just commodity, in 2015, and FIS picked up energy provider Energia uh, in 2015 also. With that being said, are we entering a new period of increased activity in merger and acquisitions? Are these recent deals, the last six months or so, a harbinger of deals to come? We've spoken to a few of the companies that are involved in both these recent deals and the past to get their thoughts about the, what the future may hold and the potential impacts on the user side of the market over the next five years or so. First, let's hear from Ken, Mr. Ken Knowles, OpenLink's Executive Vice President of Enterprise Strategy and Business Development. You know, with the usual introductory disclaimer of can't predict the future. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, this sort of thing, and, and, you know, I've been in the industry for, you know, a couple of decades. So, you know, there's, there's certainly a natural cycle in the industry at any time as companies evolve from some of their earlier startup phases and <clears throat> moving into mature operational scale. So in, in terms of consolidation events happening, that's that, you know, definitely likely in terms of any, any specifics. You know, I don't know. I mean, we certainly had um, one of those recently with ION sure. buying openly, um, pretty significant. But, um, you, know, you know, just in terms of the cycle of things, like I said, of course, that's going to happen. And as 
things mature to a level. There are different different opportunities and approaches that people take in in terms of buy, build, partner, do nothing, et cetera. And some of that strategy comes into play. So it's it's not simply a case of consolidation. I mean, I think for for any potential buyer, you're going to be looking at what's the real driver here: strategic play, financial play. If it's more strategic, you want you want to see something like um, you know what's really the driver of that? Is it is it two similar products combining to have more power, or or as we've seen in many cases, and there's one of those recently in terms of like buying functional areas that address gaps or enrich capabilities, like somebody buying say analytics vendors or accounting systems or or things like that that might extend the operational footprint or address some of that. Mm-hmm. I mean that that sort of pattern you're you know, you're likely to see as well, and right. you know, just enhancing competitive positioning. So, if you if you look at the current landscape of say a hundred vendors, uh, I think is what we we track uh, a little over a hundred uh, in one form or another, and that's you know some of these markets are, are highly fractionated and highly specialized. So. Uh, there tends to be some very niche specialized vendors within that 100 plus. Uh, uh, you don't necessarily, I assume, then see anything significantly changing in that way. Some will come, some will, uh, some will go, and, and some will enter the market during that period. Yeah, I, you know, I think it just change. You know, it, it can vary globally as well, or the you know, the life cycle of activities, like some of the areas, particularly in the front office side of the business. Mm-hmm. People, you know, various types of pre-trading activities or or markets like power, higher volume, higher activity trading, day ahead markets, things like that, being different from the more term market trading and the planning around that. If, if there's complementary positioning or there are multiple vendors competing in the space, you may be more likely to see partnering opportunities versus acquisitions. But but certainly, uh, yeah, I mean, acquisitions are already, always there. But um, the, the thing that is likely to happen is the dynamics to the industry, but in terms of the drivers for that, that's going to vary a bit. We also spoke on camera with Mr. Frank Barisi, CEO of Allegro, right after that company's announcement that they had acquired FEA to get his thoughts on the topics as well. Where do you see this market in five years? Let's bring that back around to the consolidation question. Uh, Are we seeing five years from now just a a couple of large vendors managing uh, 80-90% of the marketplace? Or do you see that it's going to continue to to be a bit of a fractionated market over time as we see now with you know almost a hundred vendors in this space? Yeah, I you know, I think you'll have I think you'll have a couple large providers, right, who have a broad ability to manage multiple commodities. Hence that that's why we continue to build out metals and ag so that we can have a broader, more resilient uh, set of offerings for our clients. Obviously, OpenLink will probably still be relevant. I think you'll see some smaller tier players that will be out in the marketplace. So I don't see a dramatic shift. I hope the macro commodity market uh, allows us to continue to grow with our clients. We've seen now that our clients, a lot of our clients have stabilized. Uh, they went through a tremendous shock to their balance sheet and the way they do business, and we see that coming back. So I think that will help us continue to grow and grow with our client base. The, the LNG market is very vibrant Absolutely. Uh, with Japan and Australia, uh, multiple traders in Houston. We work with you know three or four of the top companies in that space. We think that's going to continue to grow. We think our core markets 
continue to grow. We're excited about a new midstream offering that we have out that will continue to enhance. That's a vibrant area of the market. So again, I mean, we're, we're trying to stay where the growth in the market is, but also stay focused on our core products, power, gas, for our, for our core client base, because that's still where most of our clients are, and we're dedicated and continue to enhance those product sets. Finally, we asked Ms. Libby Cohen, Chief Products Officer of Brady, to share her thoughts on the topic. Having joined Brady recently, a company that's had a very acquisitive past, what do you see as some of the challenges and lessons learned from Brady's M&A activities in the past? Excellent question, Gary. Brady has been very aggressive in some of its acquisitions in the past. I think um, one of the things to really look at is focusing on the purpose and goals behind the acquisition. Probably a good lesson learned would be integrating into one company sooner rather than later. That allows you to really be able to achieve operational efficiencies and also make sure that you're, um, you're providing the right service to the customers, to the employees, to all that are involved. I think historically, we were a little slow in our integration efforts. That meant that we didn't really um, leverage our assets as strongly as we could have. I think we've learned from that, and we've done some really interesting things going forward that I think will um, allow us to be better positioned for future M&A. I think we can anticipate that will be more. Change is really is going to continue to be the lifeblood in commodities and energy trading. It does create more opportunity. I think we're going to see a lot of different things happening. Some of the smaller vendors will absolutely be acquired. There'll be new entrants into the space. Technology changes very, very fast. So we can anticipate somebody new and young and nimble will come in. At the same time, we can anticipate that some of the more established players are going to be really starting to become a little bit more acquisitive in the future. And a lot of the reason behind that is because of the pace of technological advances and market growth. Certainly, when you think about some of the things that are happening in the industry, the need for a global footprint becomes very important. The need for economies of scale, this is going to drive continued consolidation in the future. And from a customer perspective, what do you think the pros and cons are of consolidation between vendors? Pros, they certainly get more of a global footprint. They get more of a total system solution, integration of more advanced technologies. Certainly suppliers with larger scale and possibly with vertically integrated solutions uh, so that they're gaining expertise and competencies. The cons associated with it, um, acquiring a company and integrating it into one cohesive and um, consistently executing business is challenging. There's a period of time when things slows down a little bit as a company needs to look internally in order to make sure that they right-size their portfolio and that they're retaining the right things, things that they wanted and eliminating the things that are unnecessary. Sometimes that becomes a distraction to the business and it can consume a lot of cycles. So there are many pros, there are many cons. From a vendor's perspective, you know, it certainly helps in allowing, allowing you to have that scale. From a customer's perspective, if it takes your eye off the ball, that's a negative. I think that we can see a lot of interesting things happening in this market in the future. Um, certainly we'll see more Brady acquisitions in the future as well. But a lot of that comes with wanting to make sure that we're ready for an emerging market and, and being able to take advantage of the trends and also looking at connectivity and scalability for the future. So let's bring Gary Vasey into the conversation now. So Gary, what are your thoughts on both the views of the speakers and the question itself? Are we at the beginning of a new cycle, a new wave of M&A in the space? 
is there's something different about this current period, particularly with ION being as aggressive as they have been in the most recent years in this space? Well, I was sat with uh, Marcus Sizer of FIS Energy uh, last week, and one of the points he made, which I thought was quite interesting, was that this is, and I hope I'm not misquoting him, but this, this is like the second round of merger and acquisition, where he sees it as being more of a strategic acquisition made by other vendors as opposed to an investment acquisition made by, you know, VC and private equity. I thought there was probably something to that. He wasn't saying for a minute that um, VC and PE wouldn't be involved in the space going forward, but what he was saying was that a lot of what we're seeing right now seems to be more strategic than, than um, you know, investment for profit type opportunity. And it led me to to sort of think on the drive home you know, have the venture capital private equity investors today actually gotten value out of what is really a complex and probably misunderstood sector? And what does that mean for the future of, of that kind of investment? And so perhaps merger and acquisitions will become in the future increasingly strategic, you know, more about uh, increasing geographical coverage or, or functional gap, as Libby from uh, Brady was saying. And what does, you know, what does that mean in terms of how acquisitions get done in terms of how they get implemented, because it seems to me that a functional gap acquisition probably has a, a slightly better chance of being a reasonably successful one than a geographic one where you've got then overlapping uh, functionality, overlapping products, and you've got to manage through that. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I, I think the only caveat I would add to that, though, is that uh, if you look at some of the recent acquisitions, and particularly those by ION, those, those were competitive against PE firms. ION just outbid them, essentially. Uh, but the PE firms were, were still out there. Maybe they just don't, you know, again, based on what you look at, see the the same value based on the investments they've made in the past. And so they're, they're not willing to go quite as high as they were in the past. And that, that could be a symptom of that. I, I think, too, that's a real good point you raise about the geographic expansion and uh, the overlapping capabilities. And again, I think, as, as I'd said earlier, there's some hard lessons that have been learned in this space based on what we view as competitive acquisitions, you know, buying the, the customer base of another vendor and either trying to consolidate the products or trying to get them to switch over to the new product, which has, you know, lots of complexities associated with it, not the least of which is opening up that customer to uh, potential co- potential competitors editors as they essentially would need to re-implement. I mean, one of the questions I, I asked myself when, when we started to tackle the subject for this particular episode was, is there, is there an example of what anybody would hold up in the space as a, a perfect or, or well-managed acquisition that you can think of? Uh, no, I mean, uh, n- not to date. Uh, you know, I, I think there's been some clearly some positives for some companies. If you look at, at least from a successful financial in game, you can say Triple Point uh, did a great job on on combining lots of stuff together to create a holistic story. Now, uh, you know, there's there's the market clearly views that you know some of that probably wasn't as as successful as they had let on. But you know, I think that that portfolio of capability certainly. Uh, did look good at the time. I think IONS moving forward the way they are and creating portfolio companies underneath a single brand, I, I think that may have the best chances of success. And then you look at the Allegro acquisition of FEA. You know, they with FEA, they picked up some unique capabilities that could be added to their product, loosely integrated or, or more tightly integrated. You know, FEA's had a history of being able to uh, work with vendor products before, so I think that one has a has a good chance of being successful. <laughs> 
Well, if you look out in the landscape, there's certainly plenty of scope. There's a lot of uh, regional and, and small offenders. And as we've seen historically, it's, um, and, and as Marcus uh, was, was telling me last week as well, it's, it's relatively straightforward, straightforward. It, you know, is maybe not the right word, but it's relatively easy for a vendor to get to a certain level of revenue, say 10 million, 10 million, 12 million dollars and eight, nine, 10 customers. The hard part is getting beyond that, particularly without some external investment or some help. And I think that uh, there are many, many vendors that are, you know, sub 10, 12 million dollars with those kind of customer numbers that as the technology shifts towards uh, more cloud and perhaps they're feeling as if they're getting left behind as the overall business environment gets harder and, um, you know, a lot of the changes that we're seeing in the industry come through and they have to increase the functionality. I think the appetite for being acquired is probably there as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I, I think, you know, now, if you look at the the hundred plus vendors that we track, you know, I, I certainly more than eighty percent of those vendors are sub ten million dollars, and and I think they would be uh, they would definitely fall into that category that you were talking about of being you know kind of hitting their ceiling. I think in terms of being able to grow their revenues, as, as most of them do rely on consulting revenues more so than license revenues or support and maintenance revenues more so than license revenues. So I think those guys, if they you know, if they do a deal every year, every two years, that's a, that's a win for them. And so I think clearly they're looking for opportunities to grow and maybe that opportunity would come through being acquired. You maintain that diagram um, that we've used in some of the books and things a few years ago, which shows the, the sort of track record of acquisitions. And I mean, how many acquisitions has there been since we started back in the late 1990s? It's quite a lot, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's it's dozens, and uh, particularly if you look back to the days of of Caminus, uh, that period there, where there was a lot of shuffling of the deck of vendors, Ultra. Uh, first buying multiple vendors and being bought themselves by Caminus into a, a much larger roll-up that was a kind of a failed strategy to go public. That eventually was bought by SunGuard, uh, and then SunGuard subsequently was bought by FIS. And so, you know, there's a there's a lot of stuff just under that that single heading now of what is FIS. A lot of history there. You know, clearly they've rationalized that product set. Not all those old products are still around, but uh, uh, you know, just that one by itself is, is certainly more than a dozen acquisitions in that history. So there's a long history of this happening. I, I, I wonder, from a user perspective, what it does for user confidence in, in uh, you know, the vendor community. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think that's, that's ultimately the question and ultimately the impact uh, of these acquisitions. What is the, the impact on the customers? And we've seen, you know, again, you go back a, a decade or so, uh, there's some horror stories of people being stranded and being told they've, they have to essentially re-up, uh, basically make a brand new investment in a new technology in order to, to maintain you know their systems, so it's it's uh, it's it's difficult. But I think they're you know hopefully, and I do believe so that the market, the vendor community, has learned lessons, and the investor community has learned lessons, and and how to do these uh, these M and A activities. Hopeful, uh, but cautiously hopeful. Yeah, and I thought uh, you know again Libby from Brady making points on pros and cons. I thought she made some very good um, very good uh, assessments of what the pros and cons were for the buyer, and it is it is a mixed pot, and it depends on 
how how the acquisition goes, etc. But ultimately, in the end, I suppose that uh, it can be beneficial for the users, it can be beneficial for the vendors, and it can be beneficial for the industry. We've got to see. Yeah, I, I guess there, there's one last point I'd like to, to, to broach in this conversation, and that's if we look at the emerging technologies that we're seeing, is does this does this change the the future of of M&A activity and does it does it change the underlying business model of CTRM vendors and and therefore does it eventually lead to a shift in the way companies emerge companies are acquired you know users are looking for new tech you know what's what's the impact well i should have thought you know logically that that the 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 traditional investors would be looking for more of the emerging technology and for more of the emerging vendors placing a bet on the technology in the industry to some extent for profit Whereas um, perhaps some of the larger, more acquisitive existing vendors would be looking to fill gaps in their portfolio geographically or functionally by looking around at what's out there right now, as I think we've seen in one or two examples over the last couple of years anyway. So I think I think it's changed the, the sort of nature of the M&A side of things in the industry. But I also think that what's happened to companies like Triple Point and you know, some of the older companies that you mentioned, Ultra Trends Energy, people like this. We've gotten to the point where the technology is shifting very, very quickly. The, the, the business itself is getting harder and the requirements more rigorous. And at the same time, you've had a lot of MA. And I think we're going to see an increasing replacement market as a, as a sort of summary of all those three trends. So I think we're going to see a lot more opportunity for replacing other vendors going forward than we have in the past because as we've discussed once you've got uh, a vendor product in place and you've spent a lot of money on it and committed your future to it, it's very hard even if it's not performing to expectations to, to try all that again and bet your career on, on another 10 million dollar implementation so replacements haven't been so easy in the past but i think that the market's shifting i think we're going to see more replacement opportunities yeah i i, I think definitely too if you look at the um, you know activity sales activity year by year I, I think clearly we've we've been through a trough and we're going to start to enter that replacement market market that reflects, you know, some uh, quite a number of sales some five to seven years ago, which tends to be, I, I guess, the, the normal replacement cycle. It's it's hard to really identify what we would view as a normal replacement cycle. But, you know, from an accounting write-off standpoint, that, that tends to be kind of in that range. So I wouldn't necessarily be surprised. I, I guess when I look forward and think about five years from now or our you know, blockchain type technologies, distributed ledger technologies and smart contracts and some of the other things we've talked about in, in dis- disruptive technologies like IA. Are these going to be the next wave of CTRM capabilities that may ultimately displace some of the traditional vendors? It'll be, uh, you know, be an interesting question to see. It will. And I think it's too early to, to, to make a, a good opinion and a good judgment on some of that stuff. But I do see uh, a lot of a lot of change. I do see a lot of interest in artificial intelligence, machine learning. Uh, you've got the real-time trading side, algorithmic trading, it's all coming now, and um, I've also been doing some work for a client recently, talking to some of their customers at senior levels, and heard things like, you know, um, looking at quantum computing for the future, using drones and, and drone imagery uh, to look at networks and, and look at outages and this kind of thing. So it's going to be a, a very different future, um, and it's going to be very exciting and very challenging. I just hope that. I, the, the, the merger and acquisition activity 
doesn't accelerate too much because I think that would also be very disruptive. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, and I think as these vendors try to absorb these new technologies, that may be enough on their plate for now. But, uh, you know, I, I think we'll continue to see some some level of it. I'm just kind of, I think we're entering into kind of new territory for the marketplace. And it'll be interesting to see what impact these disruptive technologies have on the vendors themselves and how that rolls through to uh, kind of the ultimate shape of the vendor landscape. It certainly will. Well, I think that's all the time we have today for this most recent episode of CTRM Radio, the official podcast of Commodity Technology Advisory. Be sure to check for both future and past episodes on both our corporate website, comtechadvisory.com, or the ctrmcenter.com website, the official portal of all news, information, and market research related to the CTRM marketplace. So again, until next time, thanks a lot for joining us. You've been listening to CTRM Radio, a podcast by leading industry analysts, Commodity Technology Advisory. You can find more information about us at ComTechAdvisory.com and much more news, views, research, and information on CTRM at the CTRM Center at CTRMCenter.com. Thank you for joining our presenters, managing partners Patrick Reams and Gary M. Basie and their guests today, and we hope to see you on a future edition of CTRM Radio. 